Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for the Giro's version of a transition stage. Well, that was kind of yesterday, but I think this was too. I never really saw much GC action possible from Murano, uh, Lagunare to Santuario di Castelmonte, but it goes through the Slovenian-Italian border and does the Kolovrat climb. 10.4Ks, 9% with the technical narrow descent off it, but from the crest to the base of the short hilltop finish, it's like 35 kilometers, so a long valley flat in between, and then a stepped climb to the finish, 7.3Ks, 6%, but... It has a descent sort of in the middle of it. Yeah, it actually was descending in parts. And so really the only extended climbing bit is 4K, 6.5% at the end. That's difficult to make really any gaps, let alone big gaps on. But as always, this show is brought to you by our show partners, Zwift, the online cycling platform that makes training fun. Maybe if you're in the Southern Hemisphere going into winter, Zwift is the perfect training companion to keep on top of those fitness goals as well as some base winter training to complement maybe your outdoor rides to keep things interesting in the southern hemisphere winter or even if you're in the northern hemisphere if you want to like me be able to do a one hour flat ride when you live in andor if you want to check it out you can go to zwift.com for a free seven day trial down below but predictable break went benji with your favorite man well yeah he was in there. Attila Walter was one certainly off. in the breakaway. One-off, indeed. Vincenzo Nibali wasn't. Gaviria in there as well. The last time I remember him being in the breakaway of a Giro stage, I think he crashed in the descent. So I was hoping that did not happen today. Eduard Tunes, Mauro Schmidt, Davide Ballerini. So two riders from Quickstep. Two riders from Jumbo Visma as well. Afini and Baumann. Baumann trying hard for the KOM, but perhaps could also add something more to that today. Clemonda, VA teammate of Walter. So also another duo. Magnus Gold Nilsson, you said yesterday... This is a stage on which he should go in the breakaway. He certainly was in the breakaway. Tonelli, Bayer, and that's basically it for the uh, breakaway list here. And uh, in all honesty, the gap just expanded significantly between 20k into the race to 40k into the race. It went from like one minute to nine minutes. So at that point, I was pretty sure, okay, nothing's going to happen here. But then a team took over in the peloton and I, I was kind of confused. Bora was pacing quite early in the stage, not even on the Kolovrat climb yet. And I was like, why is Bora doing this? Did you see a point in that? Uh, not really without a satellite rider, because I don't think you're going to drop Carapaz on that climb. And if Hindley drops him and you don't have a satellite rider, he's not going to ride the 35-kilometer valley uh, or 15, 20-kilometer valley himself. So, Yeah. I guess, to put fatigue in the legs. But it's just not a stage you want to try it on because the finish is not hard enough. The valley will allow a regroupment of domestiques from the other teams and recovery for the other guys. And the stage tomorrow is infinitely more important. And if you have a good or bad day, possibly decisive for GC gaps. And also, 
why let the the time get to 10 minutes before you start pacing? I don't understand. Like you're not bringing break back the break. Bonus seconds as well. Isn't Carapaz better on this finish like than Hindley? I would think so as well. But if is it also not the idea that they perhaps want to like put some more attrition into their competition before tomorrow? Or is that something too far-fetched from my end? I don't know if it was like, yeah, to make a statement. I didn't really get it. Without a satellite rider, it's really going to be limited what you can do, even in mountain stages with long valleys. Like we saw Astana with Nibali. He had a gap, but he's like, I can't do it on my own. Uh, on the stage, Pozzo crashed. Forgot the Motorola descent. Anyway, <laughs> it wasn't the best ever stage. Uh, I would say <laughs> this one, it, it dragged a little bit. Eventually, a group went clear of the premium guys in the group. Tonelli on Bardiani making another decisive breakaway. Vendrame, who won a similar uphill finish last year in the Giro, I think, when Brambilla and Bennett were fighting. I uh, can't remember what made the first two weeks. Volta made it. Schmidt and Cohn Bowman, who wrapped up the Malio Azura KOM jersey today mathematically and has already won a stage, very fast finisher ahead of Formula and Molima back in, I think, week one. So they went clear, they worked together, caught, buyer, etc., all gone. GC got over that climb and it was a small group and they were like, Bora decided, they're like, what are we doing? And no one did anything. And then... You're the man on the ground with YOLO, Benji. Why did Fortunato attack in the valley? I don't know. I've got absolutely no clue. Perhaps there are some positions he wants to rise up in GC, but I completely forgot where he is in GC. So I'd be surprised if that's the case. He's in 15th, like 10 minutes behind 12th. So I don't know if there was a plan in that sense, but I didn't see a point for that to happen. And I also didn't get why Bora was chasing down Volverde and Fortunato as well once again. But Bora didn't stop pacing. And we noticed that Ineos was taking over. I um, I just thought, well, Bora just prepped the entire stage. What now? And then Ineos took over. I was completely confused at that point what Bora's kind of idea of this stage was going to be for the rest of the stage. But like you mentioned, the breakaway, that front group was happening. But from like, when we get like to the uh, final climb with that front group, honestly, I swear that it was basically a semi-surplus climb because... They were, on one end, trying to put some pressure on Vendrame, who is, on paper, the fastest flat sprinter. But when it comes to the other riders, they didn't want to dare to go all out. And I think a Bauman trusts his kick after the last time, a Schmidt trusts his kick as well, and a Walter trusts his kick as well. So Tonelli was the one where I was like, he's going to be the one that needs to attack, and he was the one that attacked twice, but some others tried as well. Why do you think they kind of didn't get away at any point at that point? I'm not sure. I think... I think the finish in the stage just wasn't hard enough. It just really wasn't. And they had an easier day yesterday. I I know there was a lot of finessing in this stage. And eventually, even in the, going back to the GC group, like Ineos decided, I think Carapaz said to the troops, said to Castro, like, just get this over with. He told him to go to the front and just pace because Bora didn't want to pace anymore. And yeah, final climb, get there. Vendrame... I don't know, it's one thing, it's like he's, you can be the fastest man in the group, but if you're being dropped a lot and being attacked, that might not necessarily be true, and I don't even know if he is faster than Mara Schmidt, to be honest. Uh, Volta had the Catalunya fast finish. He's a punchy finisher, Bowman punchy. Anyway, 
they suppress the whole climb. We get to this finish. It has, uh, we'll go back to the GC action in a second and do the breakaway first. And there's a tight Wellens Vuelta 2020 style uphill finish corner, like when he got there first ahead of Mike Woods. And it's a stepped corner. It starts bending, straightens, then it straightens and bends gently, and then a sharp left-hander. We see Schmidt on the inside line. He sees Bowman trying to get up next to him on his right shoulder. It's a left-hand corner. Bowman comes up. Schmidt starts sprinting. They're side-by-side, sides-by-side. Bowman probably is like five centimeters ahead of him, 10 centimeters on the outside, but they are next to each other, basically shoulder-to-shoulder. And before the apex of the corner, Bowman swings in and chops uh, Schmidt's front wheel. Schmidt has to emergency brake to stop being crashed into the barriers. And then Bowman himself misses the apex because he was entering the corner so fast. He goes very wide in the corner and nearly has to ho- he has to hold it up just. And basically everyone nearly crashes behind him. And Bowman wins the stage, Schmidt's second, and Schmidt wasn't happy. How do you read this? Benji, this very, very odd and unfortunate finish. Well, first of all, on paper, the deviation rule is made for a, a sprint that is a straight parkour. Like they say that a rider should not deviate from his lane and therefore endanger another rider. But if you look at this finish, it's not necessarily a plain sprint finish. It's not a straightforward finish either. There's that corner, like you mentioned, and that influences this a lot because. On paper, the ideal way to ride through this corner is to take the outside line initially, take the apex and come out on the outside as well. But the problem is, if you're sprinting against each other in a finish like this, if there's someone in that apex, in that apex of the corner that you're going to try and take, and you force that rider to break or crash into you, then in my opinion, you are breaking the rule. So in my opinion... Baumann should on paper be relegated if the deviation rule is applied here. But I do want to note, like, what are we doing? Sprinting in corners, like, it's... Riders should be able to do that if, of course, a sprint has a corner. But, I mean, as an organizer, you know that if multiple riders come to this finish, that it's destined to have an issue. We had a similar finish on Etna as well, where we almost had to doubt the uh, Kamna versus Juanpe. Um corner and we've had so many in the past was it wellens back in the day in the vuelta as well with a shady corner but how did you see this specific uh situation i think again yeah like the organizers didn't think it was going to be a mass sprint uh between or not a mass sprint between five guys six guys they're probably hoping that wouldn't be the case although like it's just not that hard to climb as i said it's 4k six and a half percent like um I don't know, it's the the sprint deviation rule, whatever. The clear rule that's been broken here, in my view, with Bowman is he's endangered Schmidt. And like we've got on YouTube the screenshots, he chops Schmidt before the corner. It's not a case of, oh, he took the apex and Schmidt's wheel was... He, he overlapped his front wheel, you know, like Ewan did with Merlier through that chicane in the Tour de France Stage 3. No, they are going straight at the blue hoardings and Cohen Bowman takes the corner way too fast because he is basically trying to break check and slash chop uh, Schmidt. He does so 
And that's why, like when you're looking at the screenshots after the apex, which Bowman missed, and you're like, oh, Schmidt's behind him. It's like, yeah, because he had to emergency break before the corner because he was being chopped. And I don't think Bowman out-sprinted him to anything. Bowman was just dive-bombing like way too fast the corner and it meant he missed it himself. So I think it's a real shame. I think Schmidt got dudded here and I think Bowman should have been relegated. He endangered not just Bowman, uh, not just Schmidt, uh, Bowman did but the other riders and kind of denied a fair finish but people disagree it's not like F1 I think which has like you got to leave enough space for the guy inside which I think this is a sort of similar scenario but yeah do you think last verdict Benji I don't know like did you expect them when you saw it happen did you expect a relegation oh I did not I did not expect a relegation and I also didn't expect everybody to like agree that it would be a relegation especially when we saw that the helicopter shot wasn't there. There was a tree in its way. So from that point onwards, if you see it from the front angle, then you're going to have people that are going to be saying, oh, it's the other way around and so forth. But to me, it's uh, it's simple. It's a clear relegation based on the rules as they are written. And perhaps the rules shouldn't be written this way. But hey, that's the rule set we got. And that's the one we apply. Speaking of maybe better stages, if you want to check out the Tour of Norway stage yesterday, I would highly recommend it on GCN+. Plus. You can go through the link in the description down below. They have live and on-demand coverage. Remco, Javine, Plap went absolutely mental on this hard final climb. And, yeah, it was, it was crazy. There was from that. Remco's looking in great shape. And GCN+, Plus, I really recommend watching the last 40 minutes, that Tour of Norway Stage 3 stage. They have it in all GCN Plus territories. My last word on the Bowman thing, unfortunately, the helicopter shot was obscured by the trees. So another, we only have the front on. The front on's the least useful. I think if we had the helicopter overhead unobscured, this would be much more clear to people because I don't think people are going to agree with my stance as much as maybe they do sometimes but back in the gc group ineos had hard pace to climb bora already were had no one bookman dropped kelderman dropped in the isolated pretty pretty embarrassing for them actually uh for this how they race this stage and carapaz attacked lander countered carapaz reacted again carapaz looked the strongest and there were no gaps on GC between the big three, Carapaz, Hindley, Lander, with others sort of, I don't know, losing a second here or there, no changes in the top 10, but here it moves into sixth, actually. Oh, no, he was already in sixth after Almeida, so he's coming for Bilbao. But why did Ineos even take it up, Benji? I guess I think this was Carapaz trying to show some strength. I think so as well. I think this finish fits him better, like you mentioned earlier. I think this is a way to just show themselves and say okay we're still in control of this race we're still here and not play the completely defensive role because that might give competition a bit more willpower to try tomorrow so i think this is kind of that balancing of trying to prevent that you know yeah and i mean caravaz did look good i know this was kind of a meaningless finish he did look really snappy didn't he like that's what was crazy i was like if bora did control that break they would have gifted 10 seconds caravaz or a full second bonus he looked he looked real good um but that doesn't matter necessarily for tomorrow it's completely different climbs this is the second hardest stage of the race from Belluno to Marmolada Paso Fedaya the finish 168 k's so it goes up to Paso San Pellegrino 10 k's I think it is but it's stepped it's, it's a lot more climb before then at 8% descent 
Falls Flat Uphill Valley, unfortunately, unless you have a satellite rider of 17Ks, then Port Doi, 12K, 6.6% descent, then another sort of step descent, and then Fadaya, which is very, very difficult. The last half of this, just look at that. The first half is a warm-up pretty much, and then the last 5.5Ks, I think, are 10.4% to over 2,000 metres. So that is nasty. Who do you reckon, Benji? Will we see DSM Ineos twenty twenty antics tomorrow? Giro upturned. Uh, I think that um oh, I think we'll just get the Giro decided as simple as that. And I hope that somebody tries early, but I fear that the GC gaps are kind of close for that to happen. Like a cut up us versus Hindley. Do you expect one of those teams to go very early? Or I don't know, I kind of feel like cut up us would play it rather defensively and Hindley would be the one attacking. But how early would they attack on this sense? Are they going to do it on that first climb? I've got so many questions. I don't know how this race will play out. I just think that... I feel like Hindley's going to win this stage. I think Bahrain forced their hand and they can't really control what happens. Like Bahrain have the strongest team. Port abandoned today, unfortunately, with Gastro. And I think Bahrain with Poles, Butrago, Bilbao... Good descenders, Novak is flying. Lando wants to win this Giro. If you go hard and get a gap tomorrow with a satellite rider, you can take up the minute or so he is back on Carapaz. Carapaz is only three seconds ahead of Hindley. I think I think Bahrain full send. Uh, Paso San Pellegrino, I think they have to get pools in the break. And... Either San Pellegrino or Poor Doy, maybe Poor Doy, and then have Bilbao and uh, pulls in the break after Poor Doy to help in that valley because that's where you can really make a difference. They did this with DSM, but DSM initiated on the descent, the second last descent of stage 20 of the Giro last year, and Caruso won the stage. I would expect that to happen. So I think Poor Doy will be paced, attacks, slash descent attack off that, and We'll see who's the strongest. Carapaz looks good, but no port. Sivakov is really stepping up, but in the high mountains, I'm not sure. So could be exciting. I reckon we could have Nibali, Roglic, Carapaz 2019 repeat, but Landers the beneficiary. Honestly, I just hope we get the battle that we're hoping for in this sense. You know that we've been having a very close battle for 19 days now in this Giro, and the 20th day is that Marmolada finish. I think that a lot of people won't be ready for that top of the Paso Ferraia. I think that's a lot steeper than people think. And I'm just looking forward to see a, a battle of 1v1s there because I feel like it will be at the end, unless we get three of them across the line together again, like we've had the last 19 days. But please, please don't do that to me. I want to see differences. Yeah, hopefully. And if I'm Bora, what do I want before the TT? I think a 30-second gap. Probably that would be... Like, what do I expect Carapaz to take on Hinley in the TT? 20 seconds, maybe? You know, you never know. Third week, equipment changes. Hinley's on a different setup this year. I don't really know. It could be better than Carapaz, but just based on what we know, Carapaz 20 seconds, he's already got three. So I would be Hinley. I'll be looking to take 30 for the stage, and the bonus won't be enough. Landa will need to take, like, two and a half minutes tomorrow if he wants to win this Giro, so that's why they have to full send early. Uh, but that's all from us. As I said, Tour of Norway is happening at the moment. There's some other races around the traps, like Boucle de la Mayenne, an international lot of touring and ladies tour, and Tour of Estonia, which Bike Exchange, a 2-1 race. They're the only team at. They brought, they're trying to get points. 
obviously, and they got Kangat there. Uh, they won. No, they didn't win the prologue, actually. Uh, one of the Mashoffs here guys, Boguslovsky, beat them, but they came 2-3-4. And then this uphill sprint today, Madis Michels on Team Ampler. You might not have heard of him. He's 18. He's on a three, two-and-a-half-year deal. He's a trainee from August Intermarche. He is legit good. He beat Groves in an uphill sprint. Crazy level from an 18-year-old because Groves has been looking good. Yeah, watch out for that kid. He's he's legit. And Intermarche got another good one. Um, but, yeah, that's all from us. Thanks, as with as always, for being the show partner Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. And we'll see you with the big Giro GC recap tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 